this chapter today, beginning in verse 31 and reading all the way down through verse 44. If you were with us last week, you know that, that we ended and Jesus was in the synagogue. Uh, he had uh, he had taken the, the scroll of Isaiah and he had read there about the Messiah and he sat down and he said, today these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. He, he was declaring himself to be the, the Savior of Israel, the Messiah, the one who was to come. And, and now today we see him continue that in many ways. We see him in the synagogue teaching, but then also going out into the, the community around, uh, bringing healing bringing power through his word. And so we want to consider uh, what Jesus does here today. And so let's, let's read this together. Uh, this is from Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 31. It says, And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. In the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of, uncle of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits. And they come out. Reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill and with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. And when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And, de and, and demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people saw him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. He was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy and inerrant word, uh, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us by the authority, by the power of Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, though these words were spoken some 2,000 years ago, though they were spoken to people who are far removed from us, your word assures us that they still contain the same power, the same authority that they had then. They has the authority to speak directly to our lives, to change our hearts, to convict us, to bring us into that relationship with Jesus Christ that we all need. And so we pray that, that you would be about that work today, that you would be pleased to meet with us through the power of your spirit, and that you would transform our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Speaking with authority. Well, I think it was the, the 19th century novelist Nathaniel Hawthorne who once said, Words, so innocent and powerless as they are, as standing in a dictionary, how potent for good and evil they become in the hands of the one who knows how to combine them. You know, though we often say things like, oh, they're, they're just words, or we say things like sticks and stones may break my bones, but, but words can never hurt me. 
We all know the, the, the real truth. We all know the power that, that words can have, whether it's a kindness, whether it is a slight, a put down, or whether it is a plea for help. All of these things tend to have a profound effect on our psyche, have a profound effect on our, our actions, on how we live our lives. And so words in and of themselves, there, there's a certain power to them. But as Hawthorne reminds us here, uh, it is often the one who is shaping those words. It is often the one who is combining those words that really lends the power to what is said. I remember several years ago, there was a story on the news about men in clown suits who were coming across the border into the United States and, and I don't know, I don't, that's all I know, but apparently that news made it to New Albany Elementary School because Sam and Wes both came home saying that their friends were telling them that New Albany was about to be overrun with evil, nefarious clowns. And so this was a problem, right? They were, they were concerned because they had the, the word of their friends on the one hand, but of course they came to Renee and I and we assured them that, that everything was going to be fine, that no clowns were going to get them, that they were safe in their home, and that was enough to, to give them some peace. Now why is that? Why, why, why was our word enough? Again, on the one hand, they had the words of their friends, then they came to their parents, right? And, and as parents, we have an authority, we have a power with our words that their friends simply do not have. There's a trust. There, again, there's authority with the words of parents. Let me give you one more example. All of you Ingemar folks, you know that there's authority, and then there's Norris Ashley authority, right? No matter what your teachers, your friends, your teammates, maybe even your parents, no matter what they may say to you, Coach Ashley's word is the one that ultimately stands, right? If he tells you to go do something, if he tells you to run and run and run some more, then that's what you do because his words had a power that, that most peoples just didn't seem to have. And so, yes, words in and of themselves, there, there's a certain power with them, but it's often the one who stands behind it that, that enhances that power, that gives the words that they're real authority. Well, here in our text, that the people of Capernaum, uh, this city in Galilee, they are confronted by the words, by the power of someone that the likes of which they have never seen before. Now, you know, we have a tendency to think of these people as, as barbaric. You know, they lived a long time ago in a different world, and so they just didn't really know things. They didn't really know what life was like. But, but there's no reason for us to believe that these people didn't understand what real authority, what real power was like. They had the words of governors. They had the words of Caesar. They had the word of, of the power of their religious leaders, Sadducees and Pharisees. And they knew to some degree or another to heed those words. And so they understand what authority, what, what power is. But when Jesus speaks, when he teaches them, there's an authority there. There's a power there that, that is different than anything they've seen before. It's because this one that is speaking, he, he is not simply just saying powerful words. He's not simply just saying the word of God, though he is saying that, but he is the word of God, right? You remember in our study of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, remember how that book starts? It says that long ago that God has spoken to our fathers in various ways through various means, but now in these last days, he has spoken to us. 
How? Through Jesus. Authoritative. Through his son. The final word has come in the word made flesh, as John chapter 1 says. He has dwelt among us. And so there's an authority with Jesus' words that surpass anything that this world has ever seen since then, before then, now. There's authority here that we must confront and we must deal with. And so there's three things that, that, that I want us to consider this morning. First, I want us to just think about the, way, the, the ways this authority of Jesus manifests itself in his ministry. We're going to see three different ways that, that it does. And it's really all-encompassing. The power that he has with his words is all-encompassing. Secondly, I want us to consider the response that the people have, and also the demons have, to Jesus' words. And three, I just want to conclude by, by asking what authority, what, what this authority has to do with us, right? You know, in a world where everything is relative, in a world where there is no ultimate truth, that's what we all, that's what the world tells us. In that world, what place does, does ultimate authority have? What place does Jesus have in a world where, where everything is subjective to, to what I think, to, to what I believe? Well, let's look at it together and let's see what God has to say to us. First, I want you to see the word on display. Now, Luke here, like Mark, he gives us these three stories in sequence. And some people have thought this may mean that this was one day in the life of Jesus. And that very well could be. It says that he does this on the Sabbath day. He teaches, he goes out and he heals. And then he kind of goes away to a desolate place to pray, to be near his father. And so this could be one day, but, but the point that we really get here is that in each scene, Jesus speaks. He speaks. And as he speaks, we see his authority. And the first authority I want you to see is the authority he has as he teaches. And you see that in verses 31 and 32. It says, And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his words possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man. Well, just right, let's leave it right there, verse 32. He, he had authority. Now, again, they were, these were people who understood, who were familiar with teaching. I mean, we might even say good teaching, you know, for whatever the Pharisees were, and they got it wrong a lot. Clearly, they knew how to communicate. Uh, their, their prominence in society, the, the influence they had, means that they knew how to get their point across. And so these people understood what good teaching looked like. But again, with Jesus, there's a quality there that they've never seen before. There's something different. And it makes us ask the obvious question, what was that quality? What made Jesus so powerful? What made him so appealing to so many? And William Hendrickson, in his commentary on this passage, he gives us a list of things that, that made Jesus' teaching unique. And I want to give those to you because, one, it helps us to understand our Savior. Uh, but two, it helps us to understand how we too should go out with God's word. The, the things that, that will make our message more appealing to others. And so the first thing he says, and this may seem obvious to us, but Jesus spoke and he spoke the truth. He spoke the truth. Again, we, we would expect the Savior of the world, God in the flesh, to speak truth. But how different was that from, from those that they were having to listen to otherwise, right? Even those Pharisees with the greatest intentions, even the ones that, that really wanted to, to speak the truth, their words were always tainted with falsehood, right? You know, I can stand up here before you today and tell you with, with surety that my goal is to speak the truth to you as clearly and as concisely as I can. But the reality is, is I'm a sinner. 
And so the truth is, is there could be a time where I say something to you that's not right. And so you need, that's why y'all need to be checking me, making sure that what I'm saying to you is true. But with Jesus, you don't have to worry about that, right? As he speaks, as we read his word, it's always true. It's always right. There is no falsehood. You never have to wonder. You can take him simply at his word and bank on it and know that it is right. So Jesus speaks the truth. Secondly, he speaks of matters that are of great importance. Matters of life and death. Now again, I could stand up here and teach you about a lot of things. I could stand up here and teach you about Atlanta Braves baseball and it would be true. None of you would care, right? <laughs> Especially if Bradley was here, he wouldn't care. And Miss Nancy Saul, she doesn't care because they don't like the Atlanta Braves, right? And so there's no real importance. There's no real relevance to you if I do that. What Jesus speaks of is matters of life and death. It's matters that are relevant to all of us if he truly is the only way to the Father. If he truly is the only way of salvation, then what he says is of eternal importance. It's the only word we really need to hear. And so Jesus speaks truth, he speaks matters of importance, but thirdly, he also speaks with a system. There's a system in his preaching. Now again, all of you know the importance of that. If I stand up here and just start spitting out random facts to you, they may be true, they may be important, but they're not going to be very applicable, right? They're not going to mean a whole lot to you if I'm just spitting out random facts. There's no system to it. Jesus, in a way that no one has ever been able to do, he, he can approach God's word he can apply it. Think about him on the road to Emmaus, right? The, the people are, the, the men there are, are mourning. What does Jesus do? He opens up God's word and it says he goes from Exodus through the prophets, through the writings, and he shows them how every bit of it was about him. He came and he just didn't speak random facts, but he preached with a system. That's important. It's important for me, for sure. But that's important for you, too, as you go out into the world, as you present Jesus to your neighbor. It needs to be orderly, right? Fourthly, he used illustrations. We know he used parables and all of those things. He's able to apply it to our lives, and I need to do a better job of that. I don't do that well. But Jesus did. He was able to speak it to our hearts and to our life situations. Fifth, and this one may be the most important of all, and so if, you, if you've checked out on me, come back here. You know, he's, he spoke truth. He spoke matters of importance. He spoke with a system. He spoke with illustrations, but, but none of that means very much if he's detached, right? If, if he really doesn't care. Fifthly, the thing that set Jesus apart, maybe most of all, was that he spoke with love, right? As he went out into the world, the people that, that he spoke to, he truly cared about their souls. He cared about their lives. He wanted to change. He wanted to help them. He wanted things to be better for them. But especially, he, want, he cared about their eternal destination, you think about Paul here in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I speak with the voice of angels, I don't have love. Then I'm just crashing cymbals, right? I'm just a noisy gong. There's very little point if I don't have love. Now, friends, as we go out into the world as Christians, this is one place we all need to adjust, right? And we go out into the world and we want to tell the truth of what Jesus has done, but most of the time we want to do it and we're mad about it at this point, right? What God calls us to do is go out and speak. Speak the truth, and, and that's, that's loving someone, right? Not hiding the truth, but speaking the truth. But certainly, it is a matter of love. We go out and we care for people. We show them with real signs how much we love them. 
We show them by giving them God's word how much we truly care. And so Jesus does that. Let me give you one more. And this is the one that's really important for us this morning because it's the one that's expressly stated in the text. Jesus' teaching is different because it's authoritative. He has an authority, right? That's what they said. They wonder because his words possessed authority. His message doesn't come secondhand. But as Hendrickson says, it is a message that comes straight from the heart and the mind of the Father, hence also from his own inner being and from Scripture. Again, this wasn't secondhand knowledge. This wasn't me quoting to you some theologian. This wasn't a Pharisee quoting from a rabbi as they were so prone to do. This is Jesus speaking, calling people to believe what he says simply because he says it. Because he is God in the flesh. People have to hear. They have to take heed. And notice that that's his purpose, right? You see that there at the end of the chapter. We often think about Jesus going and healing and doing these great signs of ministry. But notice what he says his purpose is. They, they, they want to keep him there. They don't want him to leave. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. What was the purpose? Not to heal, not to cast out demons, though those are important. His purpose was to preach. His purpose was to speak, to speak the very words of God, the words of creation, to speak into people's lives. Friends, may we never, ever despise the preaching, the hearing, the reading of God's word. May we never not take the time to hear what God has to say to us. You know, we all make a lot of time to do a lot of things in our lives, to work hours on end, to, to play, to be with our families, to, to do sports, whatever it may be. But very few of us have the patience, me included, for preaching, for, for reading, for studying God's Word. But if what we have read here today is true, then friends, this is the authority. This is the words that we need to hear. And let me say to you with, with assurance that Satan loves this. He loves it when we, when we neglect it. Because he knows better than any of us the power of God's word. Remember two weeks ago we saw the temptation of Christ. And at every turn, what was it that turned Satan away? We're going to see it today too. It was God's word. God's word. And so he knows the power that God's word can have over us, over the world. And so he'd love nothing more than for us to stay away from it. Let's don't do that. So always be concerned to hear what Jesus has to say to us. Always listen to that teaching that he gives to us. And so we see that authority. We see it in his teaching. But secondly, and more quickly, we see it, his power, his authority over the spiritual realm. And you see that as he cast out this demon there in verses 33 and 37, and also in verse 41. Now, we're going to come back to this, and we're going to consider the, the demon's response. But just notice for now how simply, how easily he handles this situation. You know, there's no elaborate ritual. There's no, like... You've got to go do this, and you've got to go do that. No, Jesus simply speaks, and the demons flee. He speaks, and the darkness is gone. It's a reminder to us of that line, from a mighty fortress is our God, right? You remember that song? He sets up this image of, of Satan. He's powerful. What does he say? One little word shall fail him. One little word 
from our Savior is enough to send Satan, to send his minions running. Satan may take his stand, and he certainly, certainly did that at the cross. He certainly will do that at, at the end times. But all Jesus has to do is to speak, and that is enough. That is enough to send him fleeing. So Jesus has authority over that spiritual realm, over Satan. But then thirdly, he also has, has a power over sickness. He has power to heal. You see that in verses 38 and 40. Now, he goes into this, this house of Simon Peter. His mother-in-law is, is sick and she has this fever. And what does he do? You know, oftentimes Jesus' miracles are associated with a physical sign, right? You think of uh, the lady who had the, the hemorrhage and she goes and she reaches out and she touches Jesus' garment, right? And she's healed immediately. Uh, you think about the leper who came to Jesus, and Jesus reaches out and touches him and heals him. Uh, you think about John chapter 9, where he makes the, the spit mud, as I call it, and he puts it on his eyes, and he goes and says, go wash, and he's healed. And even here in verse 40, or 41, it says that he was healing them through the laying on of hands. And so there's something to that physical sign, but, but there, as he heals Simon's mother-in-law, we see the real power, don't we? It says that she had a fever, he walked in, what does he do? He rebuked it. He rebuked it. He said to it, leave. And what happened? She was healed. The fever was gone. At a word, Jesus is able to heal. He spoke, and it was new. He spoke. At the declaration of his word, miracles occur. Now, this leaves us in a place that, that, that normally we have a lot of questions, right? This is an important point for us to stop and to think about just for a second because all of us will suffer at some point with sickness. All of us, unless, unless the Lord takes us home first, will have bad health. And many of you may have that now. And the question is, is if Jesus has the power to remove that from us, why doesn't he do it? Why doesn't he take that away from us? Uh, maybe to make the question more simple is, is, does Jesus still do miracles today? And the short answer to that question is yes. Yes, he certainly does. Jesus is still healing in miraculous ways even now. And so it's right to, to pray for those things. The reality is, is often he doesn't do that, does he? Uh, many of you knew Renee's aunt, Sheila Thomas, and she suffered with cancer for, I think, six years, and, and every day of those six years, she prayed that God would do a miracle. She would tell me, Stephen, I'm praying that God will do a miracle, that he will take this away. And I said, she should do it, do it, because he can do that. He can take it away. And along the way, God did do miraculous things. It was little things, things that nobody else would have noticed, but, but God was doing miraculous things in her life. In the end... He didn't take the cancer away, did he? Oh, she, she passed away. She, he, she didn't get that, that miracle, at least not the one that, that she was hoping for. Now why? Why is that the case? Well, I think there's two answers that we need to consider. First, we need to remember the point of Jesus' miracles in Scripture. Not simply to show what he could do, but it was to remind people who he was, right? He says that. He says, if you don't believe based off of what I've said, believe off of what I've done. And that's consistent in the Old Testament, too, in, in, in the Exodus. God says, I'm going to do this to show you and to show Egypt who is really in control of these things, right? And so the miracles are a sign of who Christ is. There's a second reason. 
You know, for our loved ones, for all of us who are resting in Christ, for she, she today, the the miracle that that we long for is not the miracle that that Simon's mother-in-law received here in our text. Yes, we rejoice at that, and if God were to do that in our life, it would be an amazing thing, and we would love it. Friends, the greatest miracle of all happens when we close our eyes, when we take our last breath, and when we open them into the face of our Savior. The greatest miracle that any of us can receive happens when Jesus comes back with a shout. What it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, right? I've read that text at the graveside for years. And this week I read it again. And that's what he says. It says when Jesus comes back, he's going to come with a cry, with a command, with his word, right? And the dead in Christ will rise and our bodies will be made new. And there will be no more sickness. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more COVID. There will be no more death. He will renew all things. That's the miracle that we all long for. That's the miracle that we are all looking for. Yes, we can pray and we should pray that God would do miraculous things in in our lives, in the lives of our loved ones. And he can do that, and often he does. But friends, more than that, we should be praying, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I got my my point wrong, but y'all know what I mean. Come back. Renew this world. When he does, it will happen at his word. It will happen at a command. He will speak it. And all things will be renewed. And so, yes, yes, Jesus can still do the miraculous. And often he does. But he does it every day when he takes us home. When he takes us home to be with our Lord, that is the miracle that we are all looking for. And so, we see the the authority of his word on display in his teaching we see it in his ability to, to overcome even the spiritual realm. And we see it in his healing, in his power even over death. Now secondly, and quickly, because I know we're running out of time, I want you to consider the, the response that there is to this word, right? First, you see the, the wonder of the people. Again, there in verse 32, it says they, they wondered, they were astonished at what he said because his words possessed authority. And rightly so. Uh, this was miraculous things that, that God was, was doing, that Christ was doing, and it astounds them. Now, again, we've said this already, but, but obviously we don't normally hear God speak audibly to us. Now, again, sometimes he may do that, but normally that's not how he works in, in this time, in, in these days. But friends, he speaks no less audibly to us in this book that we have before us. These words that he spoke some 2,000 years ago, the Old Testament some four or 5,000 years ago, we have the assurance of his word that those, those stories, those words are just as authoritative, just as powerful now through the Spirit as they were then. And so Jesus, he still speaks, and our response should be one of, of no less wonder. One that, that he would condescend and speak to us at all that he would leave us this word, but two, that he would speak those kind and gracious words, those words that are merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, that he would save us at all, that he would give us redemption. We should wonder at what Jesus says. But secondly here, we also see the response of the demons, and it's one of fear, right? 
They flee before him. And again, we've seen that already, but, but it's just a word that he says. And they cannot stand before him. Friends, let that be an encouragement to you. Many of us, we, we struggle with sin, sometimes the same sins over and over again. We feel like we, there's no way out of temptation. The battle seems to go on over and over, and it's overwhelming. And we feel like we can't make it another day. We don't know how we're going to get out. Remember what we see here. The one who lives in us. His word is enough to cast it all away. Yes, we are weak. Yes, we are failing. Yes, we don't have enough power, enough strength to stand in and of ourselves. But the one who is in us, he can stand. The one who is in us, the demons flee before. Our sin flees before And so we look to him, we trust in him more and more. And then thirdly, there's a response that's not expressly spelled out here for us, but we know it from God's word. And it's really the two sides of the same coin, right? On the one hand, people respond to Christ in faith. You see something of that there at the end of the chapter. He wants to leave, and they say, no, you've got to stay here with us. They believe, they trust, they have faith in him. And we also know there's those who won't believe, who refuse to believe, who turn their their backs on him. And we see the power of God's word here to divide, right? The power to to either bring faith into people's lives or to turn and to run the other way. And the point I want to make to you is there is no other response. There is no middle ground with Jesus. It is either he is authoritative and these words we have to heed, or he's not, and we flee from him. We run the other way. That's what his word comes and it does. It did it here and it does it in our lives. It's doing it even now. Some are coming closer to him. Some are running the other way. And that leads us to our conclusion, our third and final point. Again, what does all of this have to do with us? What what place is there for authority in our lives? Friends, I would suggest to you that that of all the texts that we've seen over the course of the last few weeks, and obviously they're God's word, but this is one of the most important ones that we've seen. Again, we live in a world where, where everything is relative, where everything is subjective, where truth is what I want it to be. Truth is what I make it. You can't tell me what I can believe because there is no ultimate truth. There is nothing standing above me. So that means I can go do drugs. I can go leave my family. I can change my gender. I can do whatever I want to do because there's nobody to tell me any different. There's only me. And look, if that's the truth, then we should go live it up. We should go do whatever we want to. But, but, If what we have seen today is true, if Jesus' word truly is authoritative, if it truly is ultimate truth, friends, we must heed it. We must bow before it. There is no other option. He leaves no room, as we've said, for middle ground. He is the way, the truth, in the life. He is the only way to the Father. And so if this is true, if his word, the word he speaks is the only word that can save, the only word that can transform our lives, if it upholds the universe, as Paul says, 
And we best consider what he says. We best look to him by faith and bow before him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Friends, even more than that, let's bow before him as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the one who shed his blood to bring us redemption. The one who loved us with a love that is beyond anything we can imagine. This is not simply a God standing up there saying, hey, this is what I've said, like I do with my kids. You're going to do this because that's what I said you're going to do. Certainly he has that power. He has that authority. He could do that. Friends, he comes to us in his grace. He comes to us in his mercy. And he says, yes, you have sinned against me. Yes, you have failed But here's my son. Here's a savior. Let me give you redemption. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to get it all together. Just put your faith in this one who's going to come and live the perfect life. This one who's going to go to the cross and die in your place. The the one who is going to be raised to heaven and seated at my right hand and intercede on your behalf. That, friends, is love. That's the God who speaks authoritatively. And it says, come to me, all you who are sick and weary and heavy laden, and let me give you rest. We want to run away from that. We we want our hearts, our default setting is to rule ourselves. It's to rule our own little kingdoms. Friends, please, see, see the beauty of this gospel. See the beauty of what Jesus is saying to you today. He loves you. We are unlovable, but he loves you. We don't deserve it, but he has come and he has given his all for you. And so the question, as we close, is whose word are you living by today? Truth is, is all of us are living by somebody's. It's either ourself It's either our parents, it's either our teachers, the worlds. We're all living by somebody's word. Or we're living by Jesus's. And here's the thing. There's only one word that can save us. There's only one word that can give us newness of life. There's only one word that has the power to give us eternity. And so I ask... Will you today, will you trust in this word? Will you live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God as we pray together? Father, we do come before you today, and Lord, we know that our our tendency is to want to rule ourselves. Our tendency is to want to rule by our own word, our own thoughts, our own deeds. Lord, we want to deny that you have any place, any authority in our lives and yet your, your word leaves no room for that. If, if what you have said is true, then you are the only way. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Well, that seems oppressive to us, that it makes us squirm in our seats. And yet, Father, it is the kindest, most gracious thing that, that anyone has ever said to us. The fact that you have not abandoned us, left us to our own devices, but that you care enough to come and to speak to send Jesus to to, to save us. Lord, what a story that is. What a redemption that is. And so I pray that we might all learn more and more to trust in it, to, to put our hearts, put our faith in every word that you have said, to look to the word of God made flesh, and to trust in his power to teach, to trust in his power over Satan, over, over demons, to 
trust in his power to heal and to save, not only here on this earth, but for eternity. Lord, work this truth in our hearts. Give us faith in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.